It's estimated that there are about 4,000 religions in the world. Think about that for a moment. 4,000 religions. Almost all of them, and when I say almost all of them, I mean each one except Christianity, is a man-made effort to get to God. But today as Christians, we celebrate that God came to us. He did not accidentally stumble upon us, nor did he send his son as some desperate attempt to fix what didn't work in the Old Testament era. Jesus came to us according to God's plan, a plan which he progressively revealed throughout scriptures. Galatians chapter 4 in verses 4 and 5 speaks about the timing of God and his plan that he fulfilled through the coming of Christ. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, and notice that phrase, when the fullness of time had come, meaning when everything lined up according to God's plan that he might fulfill his promises, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The birth of Christ is told in the Gospels through brief episodes of different individuals and, and circumstances. The Bible tells us of the census that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, only to find no room in the end. The Bible tells us about a group of shepherds that were out keeping their flock when the angels appeared to them. And the Bible also tells us about wise men who saw his star and came to worship him. On their way, they visited Herod the king to inquire if he knew where the Christ was to be born. Little did they know that Herod was a paranoid homicidal maniac. He killed some of his own sons. He killed his wife. He killed other extended family members, all to protect his throne and his power. And so when he heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he devised a plan to murder him as well. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. But Herod had no intentions of worshiping the Christ child. Herod's intention was to slaughter him so that he would have no potential rival for the throne. The passage that we're looking at today it describes not only how God outmaneuvered Herod, but how he would even use the evil in Herod's heart to accomplish his plan that he spoke hundreds of years in advance by the prophets. And that's the emphasis in this section of Scripture. 
that God spoke in advance, revealing what he was going to do, and that those who tried to stop him only became pawns that he used to orchestrate our redemption. So the passage we're looking at today, we pick up with the wise men ignoring Herod and going home another way because God warned them in a dream about Herod. Matthew chapter 2 will be in verses 13 through 23. I want to ask you, would you join me in standing as we read this together? The Bible says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken to the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother. And went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray together. Father, help us today to understand what was spoken by the prophets and fulfilled through your Son. May we believe like Joseph and Mary. May we seek like the wise men. And Father, may you be glorified through this service today. For it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's, there's three passages of Scripture here that we're, that we're looking at. And, and each centers around a place and a reference to the Old Testament. Uh, the first is Egypt. The second is Ramah. The third is Nazareth. And in each case, the first two, there's a direct quotation. The second, there's an allusion to the, to the Old Testament. And, and in these places and references lies the key to understanding what Matthew is trying to tell us. You know, sometimes people read the Bible or any literature as though language is like 
arithmetic. But language is much richer than this. When you see that 2 plus 2 equals 4, well, that's all it means. It means that a quantity of 2 added to a quantity of 2 equals a quantity of 4. There's nothing implied in it. There's nothing else that's hidden there. There's no deeper significance or meaning. That's just all it means. But language doesn't work that way. Language is so much more than just a narrow definition of a word added to another narrow definition of another word. It doesn't work that way. In fact, language includes all kinds of things like tone and inference. And so when we read these Old Testament quotations, one of the things that we know is that just like today when we quote things, we often intend for people to remember what we're quoting. In the same way, in the New Testament, when you look at all these quotations, there's more happening than just the words that are quoted. The author meant for us to, to remember where those quotes came from and to think about the context. I mean, th think about how this works today. If you, were to, if you were to quote a famous line from a movie, you intend for people to remember the movie, right? Go ahead. Make my day. I thought in the first service there'd be folks here that would remember that movie, right? Right? Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry. We, 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 we think about the context. It reminds us. Or what about that statement made in the 80s? Tear down this wall. Who said that? Ronald Reagan. Yeah. That, that simple phrase can remind us of an entire era of history and what was going on in the world at that time. That's one of the ways that, that language works is that we reference things and we imply things. There's more than just the words. And so these these three places that are referenced here. Egypt, the, the, the place where God would deliver his people out of slavery and lead them into the promised land. Ramah, the, the place where during the exile people were gathered and carried off into exile and women watched their sons being let off to be prisoners and to become warriors in foreign armies. And then Nazareth, the place of absolute insignificance in Jesus' day. Prior to Jesus being raised in Nazareth, there was nothing significant about this little tiny rural village. So Matthew will reference these quotations and remind us of the words of the prophets. And so as we look at each of these passages of the scripture, the first being verses 13 through 15, which is the reference to, to, to Egypt and, and the quote from the Old Testament, it, we see that, that Jesus came 
to deliver us from the bondage of sin. You see, it was out of Egypt that the exodus would occur. And Jesus came to inaugurate a new exodus from the bondage of sin. So, so notice verse by verse what's happening here. In verse 13, we see that God spoke in dreams about future threats because he is all-knowing. It says in verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. So notice what the angel reveals to Joseph. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod had, had not yet searched for the child. But God knows in advance what's going to happen. He knows in advance what we're going to do. And he knew what Herod was going to do in advance. And that's why he could send an angel to warn Joseph. God knows everything that's going to take place. That's why he could speak through the prophets hundreds of years in advance to reveal what was going to happen and what he was going to do. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, just the verse before tells us about the threat that the, the wise men heard about in their dream. It says, and being warned in a dream, this, this is the wise men now, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So God, who spoke to the prophets, would, would also speak through angels and speak through dreams because he knew what was about to take place. And one of the things that gives us great stress is uncertainty about the future, isn't it? We try to plan. That's why we have insurance. If, if you and I knew what were going to happen, none of us would have insurance, would we? We'd just wait till the day before our house was going to burn, and then we'd take out a policy. Well, why pay all those premiums if we knew what was going to happen? But we don't know. But God knows. God knows, and so he was able to reveal in advance what was going to happen and what he was going to do. And when we see God orchestrating his plan and revealing, not just to the Old Testament prophets, but even to the wise men and to Joseph through dreams, it should give us great comfort that God is not surprised, confused, or frustrated, but that he is systematically working out his plan to bring about our redemption. Like Jacob's son Joseph, Jesus would be taken to Egypt. The Bible says in verse 14, And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. None of the Jews of the first century or even those of the Old Testament could hear Egypt without thinking about the exodus. Joseph, the son of Jacob, would also be sent to Egypt. He would be sent there to spare his entire family from famine. That's how Israel got to Egypt to begin with. And over 400 years, they rose to be a great people. And as they rose to be a great people, they became a threat to Pharaoh. And that's when he put them in bondage and slavery 
And that's when God freed them and called them out. But Joseph, who was despised by his brothers and sold into slavery, that's how Joseph got to Egypt. When his father died, Joseph had become a very powerful man. God had used him not only to save his family, but to save all of Egypt. Having given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams, God would reveal to Pharaoh about a great famine that was coming. And Joseph, having prepared for it and saved the nation, he would become second in command of Pharaoh. At the death of their father, Joseph's brothers greatly feared that Joseph would get even with them. So the Bible tells us about Joseph speaking to his brothers after his father's death in Genesis 50, verses 19 through 20. It says, But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was sent to Egypt so that he might save his family and that he might save Egypt. As the Lord delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt, through Jesus we, we would be delivered from the bondage of sin. The Bible says here in verse 15, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. What God was doing throughout the Old Testament would foreshadow and point to what he was going to do through the New Testament. This quotation is from the prophet Hosea. It's Hosea 11.1. 1. And if we were to look at that chapter of Hosea, we would see that he was only describing the Exodus event itself. And yet Matthew would tell us that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. You see, even the Exodus pointed to Jesus. As God would deliver the nation of Israel from the literal chains of slavery, through sending his son, he would deliver us from the bondage of sin. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 12 about this final plague that would cause Pharaoh to release the people from slavery and allow them to go. God would spare his people. In fact, he would pass over their homes as he sent the angel of death to kill the firstborn in every home. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 23, listen to what it says. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. There in Egypt, on that night, there was a death in every house. 
For the Egyptians, it was the death of their firstborn. But for God's people, there was a substitute. For God's people, a lamb died. And the blood of that lamb was smeared over their doorpost. When God saw the blood, he passed over them. John the Baptist, that Old Testament prophet who helped inaugurate the New Testament era. John the Baptist who pointed the way to Christ. The Bible tells us what he said when he saw Jesus. John 129, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, there was a lamb at Passover. John the Baptist did say Jesus was a lamb, but it's a stretch to connect Jesus with the Passover. If you're thinking that, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, which says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Matthew describes Jesus going to Egypt. And he says that this event fulfilled the words spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Jesus says in John 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin. Just as God called Israel out of Egypt, so he would call his son out of Egypt as well. Everything that took place in the deliverance of Israel was merely foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us. I want you to notice this second group of scripture here, verses 16 through 18. And we say that, that Jesus came to give us hope for our future. In verse 16, it tells us about Herod's response. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Herod decided that since the wise men didn't come back and report a location, that he would just slaughter all of the children in that small town of Bethlehem just to be certain that he had gotten this child who was born king of the Jews. It's hard for us to imagine something like that happening today. But this was the time in which they lived. This was the mindset of, of Herod. Herod was such a vile man that when he was old and sick and knew he was going to die, he commanded the military to gather up a large group of citizens, just random people, and imprison them. And he ordered them that on the day that he died, all of those people were to be executed so that there would be weeping in the land on the day of his death. 
because he knew that no one would mourn for him. Fortunately, they knew at this time that he was crazy. And when he died, the military simply released all of those people and set them free. Herod ordered all the children in Bethlehem to be slaughtered. Do you know that God is able to work even through the dangers in our lives to accomplish our redemption? He was unhindered by the evil of Herod. He was unhindered even by the designs of Satan. And there's nothing to keep him from bringing about his will in your life as well. The Bible says in verse 21, And he rose and took the child, that is Joseph, and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. So there's a quotation here that would take place from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, this quotation is from Jeremiah chapter 31. What's interesting about this quotation is that if you go back and read Jeremiah 31, this is the only verse in that entire chapter that is negative or mourning. It's actually a very hopeful chapter in which Jeremiah is giving comfort and promise of a new future to those who had lost their children in the exile. And so the quotation from Jeremiah refers to a hope and a good future. So in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 2, where he quotes this, this is what he says. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah was a, a gathering place where many of the exiles were brought together and then carried off. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. Uh, Rachel, not literally, but remember Rachel early, early on in the Old Testament. Just like today, someone might say Uncle Sam, and we're referring to the entire United States government. Rachel would become a figurehead for these weeping women. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But listen to two more verses from that same chapter of Jeremiah. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward, reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. He's talking about those carried off into exile. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Here, here in, this, in this passage in which Herod tries to destroy all the children in Bethlehem to make sure that he is annihilated, the Lord Jesus. Matthew references this, this chapter of hope and of optimism as the prophet Jeremiah told the, the mothers who were seeing their children carried off into exile that they would come back, that there was a future for Israel. This, this third passage centers around a place called Nazareth. 
And it doesn't contain a direct quotation from Scripture, but it references the Old Testament. You see, Jesus came to be despised and rejected. And God would fulfill his plan for Jesus, even unhindered by Herod. So, in verses 19 and 20, it says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Joseph would find Archelaus, the son of Herod, ruling in his place. And so he feared to go back to the land where they were. And so the Bible tells us that he went to a place called Nazareth. Nazareth. When you and I hear that word, we probably think of Nazareth as a special holy place. But that's because we know that Jesus was raised there. Prior to that, no one saw Nazareth this way. So, But it says in verse 23 and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene uh, notice that it says by the prophets there, there's no verse in scripture that says Jesus would be called a Nazarene and this is not a quotation from scripture it's the only time in the gospel of Matthew that we see him use prophets plural in every other case, he named Jeremiah the prophet. Or in the case of Hosea, he said, by the prophet. But here he says, the prophets. And in the New Testament, the Old Testament scriptures, they didn't refer to it as the Old Testament. You won't find the word Old Testament anywhere in the New Testament. That's our language to refer to it. But they referred to it as the law and the prophets. Sometimes they refer to it as Moses and the prophets because Moses wrote the law. Sometimes it's just the prophets. But in each time, what they're referring to is the scripture. And just like today, I could say that the Bible says that Jesus is a servant. And that would be an absolutely true statement. But nowhere is there a quote directly in the Bible that says Jesus is a servant. I'm summing up the teaching of Scripture. And so is Matthew. And he tells us that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. You see, the Bible had prophesied that Jesus would be despised and rejected by men. Listen to Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. When this man who had become a disciple, Nathaniel, when he heard that Jesus was from Nazareth, his comment helps us understand how Nazareth was viewed in Jesus' day. It says in John 1.45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Listen to what Nathanael said. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
You see, in Jesus' day, there was geographical prejudice just like today. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Absolutely. One who was spoken by the prophets that he would be despised and rejected came out of Nazareth to serve us. When we read these passages of Scripture, we see that God announced hundreds and hundreds of years in advance what he was going to do. And on this side of the fulfillment, it's easy to look back and believe because the promises have already been fulfilled. But I want to encourage you today to not only look back and believe, but to look forward to those promises that we have not yet received. The promise of resurrection. The promise of eternal life. The promise that Jesus would one day come again. If for no other reason, let us believe because God fulfilled everything else that he spoke in advance, that he will fulfill what he has spoken about our future. We have a great reason to worship today. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we stand in awe of a God that could announce hundreds of years in advance exactly what he was going to do and fulfill it perfectly despite opposition from the devil, earthly evil men. Lord, help us today to put our absolute, total trust in you. May we believe that just as you fulfilled your promises then, you'll fulfill your promises to us now. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Today as we close our service, we close with a song. A song to give you time to reflect on what we've read today. A time to respond to what we've heard today. You see, the reason that Jesus came is so that you and I could be redeemed. And having seen God fulfill all of his promises, surely we can believe that God will continue to fulfill them. You see, Jesus, he came born in the most humble circumstances but he would live an extraordinary life. A life like no other person has ever lived because Jesus would live his entire life completely free from sin. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, he was able to die in your place because he didn't have any sin to pay for. You see, just as in Egypt, as that lamb took the place of the death of their firstborn so that death could pass over them. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our place so that the wages of our sin could be paid 
and we could have eternal life. This morning, if you've never received this free gift that God offers, I want to invite you as we sing to just call on the Lord in prayer. If you'll ask, he will forgive you for everything you've ever done and everything you ever will do. All of us here today need the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us that have already been saved, may we worship him with our lives. Let's stand as we sing. Thank you.